during the Korean War, some American soldiers rented a house and hired a local boy to do their housekeeping and their cooking. This particular Korean boy had an unbelievably positive attitude and was always smiling. But to amuse themselves, the soldiers played one trick after another on this young man. They nailed his shoes to the floor. But he'd got up in the morning, pull the nails out with pliers, slip on his shoes, always maintaining an excellent spirit. Then he'd put grease on the stove handles, but he would just wipe them off, smiling and singing throughout the day. They balanced buckets of water over a door and he'd get absolutely drenched. But he would just dry off without a fuss, time after time. Finally, the soldiers became so ashamed of themselves that they called the young man in one day and said, we want you to know that we're never going to trick you again. Your attitude has been outstanding. You mean, no more nail shoes to the floor? The young man asked. No more, came the reply. You mean, no more sticky on the stove handles? No more. You mean no more water buckets on the door? No more, they said. Okay, the young man responded with a smile and a shrug. No more spit in the soup. (laughs) Gives you the heebie-jeebies, doesn't it, the idea of it? (laughs) This is the the normal way that the world works, isn't it? When people are horrible to us, it comes just so natural to us that we want to retaliate and be horrible to them but when people are good to us then we want to repay that kindness and be good to them but Jesus wants us as his followers to be different last week we saw in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus called his followers to reject all forms of retaliation But in this last section of Matthew 5 that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus calls his followers to go further. He calls them to be different in their love. I'm going to read this amazing passage in in Matthew 5, verse 43, down to the end of the chapter, verse 48. So, if you have a Bible, open it up. If not, then just please listen as I read it to you. So, these again are the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think most people believe in the importance of love. So much of popular music music is about how amazing it is to be in love or how terrible it is to fall out of love. 
Movies are also dominated by that theme of love. Not just the romantic love, but also love for family or friends or even country. And love is big business in so many other ways. A couple of weeks ago was Valentine's Day and next week is Mother's Day. It's just a little heads up for all of us. And the amount of money that's spent on those two days is absolutely staggering. In the US, it is estimated that on Valentine's Day, there is $19.7 billion spent on that day. And then on Mother's Day, it's even more, $21.2 billion. So I don't think Jesus was trying to convince people about the importance of love. Because we all love in one way or another. Rather, it was Jesus was challenging us about who we love and how we love. The Pharisees, they believed in love. The law that they held very dearly in Leviticus 19 and 18 said this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So they knew that God wanted them to love others. But the problem was that they'd twisted the law to give them a license to limit what this meant. So Jesus says here in verse 43, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor. This was what God had said in his law. It just wasn't everything that God had said in his law. Because it seemed like they dropped the as yourself part. This was so that they could lower that standard of love that they had to show. They were willing to love their neighbor. That was great. They just didn't want to love their neighbor as much as they loved themselves. And then they added this little phrase. And hate your enemy. Now this isn't found anywhere in the law. But it was what they claimed that the law said. What it implied. Their reasoning was that if it was neighbours that they had to love. And those neighbours, they were the people who were fellow Jews. People who lived near them. People who shared their race and religion. And so if God only commanded them to love their neighbours, their fellow Jews, then this implied, even commanded them, that they should hate everyone else. It was a kind of twisted logic. But it wasn't just an innocent mistake. It only convinced them because they wanted to be convinced. Because it meant that they had to ignore lots of other laws that God had given them that taught the importance of expressing love to strangers and to foreigners. For example, in the very same chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus 19 and verse 34, the law said the alien, that's not the little green man, that's the foreigner, the the non-national, living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself for you were aliens in Egypt and so the Pharisees 
had corrupted God's law into a law of reward and revenge. Love those who love you. Be good to those who are good to you. But hate those who hate you. Reject those who reject you. Why did he do that? Well, I guess because this was a standard that they could cope with. This is what comes naturally to all of us. So it was something that they could keep. In fact, Jesus said in this chapter that we're looking at, verse 46, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Do not even the pagans do that? The tax collectors, you remember, were among the most despised in that society. They were looked on as as traitors and thieves. And the pagans, they were seen as outsiders who were worthless and unclean. But even those people who were classed within that society as the most sinful, the most selfish, well, they love those who love them and hate those who hate them. So the Pharisees had brought the demands of the law down to the standard of most of of us as humanity. They expressed love in exactly the same way as those who didn't know God, as those who were far from God. But Jesus challenged his followers to a far higher standard. But I tell you, verse 44, The love that Jesus is looking for in our lives is not this ordinary, everyday kind of love that comes naturally to us. The love that Jesus is looking for is an extraordinary type of love. A different standard. That's the reason why it seems that the New Testament chose an unusual word for love. There were a number of different common words for love in the Greek language. There was filio, which was the warm friendship type of love. There was storge, which is the love and care within a family. Then there was also eros, the romantic or sensual or physical love. But the New Testament writers chose to use a a completely different kind of word. A less common word for love. The word agape. And it seems like they used this odd, strange, uncommon word to emphasize that when they talked about love, they were talking about a completely different idea that most people were thinking about. So Jesus calls us to love your enemies. Our love is to be completely unrestricted. Jesus literally wants us to love everyone. Whatever their background, or their race, or their social status, or their political affiliation, or their religious beliefs. This doesn't mean that we need to have the same relationship with everyone. There is, of course, this special kind of love between a husband and a wife, within families, within friends, or even within a church family. But this agape love is a love that reaches out to everyone.
to all people. Jesus made that really clear in his parable of the Good Samaritan, didn't he? When he called us to follow in the footsteps of the Samaritan who overcame racial prejudice in caring for that Jewish man who was lying by the side of the road. So love your enemies means that we should love people whatever they have or haven't done to us. We are to even to love those who ignore us, who ridicule us, who reject us, who hurt us, who attack us, or who even persecute us. This doesn't mean that we need to like them or like what they are doing. But this agape kind of love isn't based on attractiveness or the nature or the value of the person at all. It doesn't wait for it to be deserved or to be earned or even to be asked for. This kind of love chooses to love no matter what. It truly is unconditional. And it is expressed in so many different ways. Jesus says here in verse 44, Pray for those who persecute you. When we're criticized or ridiculed or attacked, we should pray. Not to get our own back on that person. But to pray for their good. Pray for their repentance. Pray for their forgiveness. Remember this is what Stephen did as the rocks were viciously thrown at him. Just before he died, he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Even in that time of suffering, Stephen expressed this unconditional love for his attacker. But loving others can also include a lot of other things. When Jesus talks about this kind of issue in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who will treat you. Of course, in each of the different situations that we find ourselves, we need to work out what is the loving thing to do. But loving others often includes looking for opportunities to help those who detest us. Speaking words of compassion to those who have used their words in condemnation or to disparage us. Praying for the good of those who have sought to hurt and damage us. So when the Bible talks about love, it isn't primarily a sentiment or an emotion it's talking about. Rather it's a choice. It is a choice to work and to seek the good of the other person. Whatever they've done. It's a love that's merciful and it's gracious and it's forgiving. It's the kind of love that was expressed in Charleston, in South Carolina, in the States, last June. Maybe you remember about hearing Dylan, about this guy, Dylan Roof, the troubled young man who walked into a church Bible study on a Wednesday night. He sat down with the group for about an hour. Then he stood up and shot and killed nine of them in an apparently racially motivated attack. But in their pain and their suffering... 
the victims' families expressed extraordinary love. Listen to what some of, the, some of them said. Anthony Thompson, whose relative Myra was killed, said, I forgive you. My family forgives you. Alana Simmons, who lost her grandfather, said this, Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived in love and their legacies will live in love. So hate won't win. I forgive you, said the daughter of Ethel Lance. You took something really precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. And the young man, Chris Singleton, whose mum was killed, said this. No matter how much hate there is in the world, it's no match for love. We already forgive him for what he's done. There's nothing but love from our side of the family. This is the kind of love that Jesus is looking for in his followers. It is that unrestricted, unconditional, practical and forgiving love that loves again and again and again. But why? Why does Jesus want his followers to love in this extraordinary way? I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look closely at many of the animated films from the Disney Pixar studios, you'll see a little code, A113. It's Andy's mum's car registration in, in Toy Story. It's the door number in Monsters University. It's the camera model number in Finding Nemo. It's on a rat's uh, ear in Ratatouille. And in lots and lots and lots of other films. So why does A113 show up again and again and again? Well, it turns out that this was the classroom number at the California Institute of Arts where many of the animators studied. So when you see that code in, that mo- in, a, in a movie, you can recognise that someone from that classroom has worked in that movie. It's their, their calling card. It's like their fingerprint that shows who they really are. And where they're from. That's what this extraordinary love should be like in our lives. When we love our enemies, when we love those who hate us, do good to those who persecute us, then this is our calling card. This is the fingerprint that reveals who we truly are. Jesus said that we should love, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. This doesn't mean that we'll become children of God if we love like this. Of course that's not the case. We become children of God through our faith in Jesus as a gift of God's amazing grace. But rather it's when we love in this extraordinary way. We act like our Heavenly Father. And so reveal to this world that we are His children. That's because God loves this world in an unrestricted way. 
Jesus says here in verse 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I know in Ireland we tend to get one more than the other. But sunshine and rain are both essential for life, aren't they? They are blessings to us. And they are gifts from God, expressions of his love. The next morning when you get out of bed and it's tipping a rain, say, thank you God, if you can. And he gives those gifts in an unrestricted way. The sun doesn't just shine on the good. The rain doesn't just water the fields of the righteous. God gives these gifts in an unrestricted way because God loves everyone. And so his love is unconditional. His love is not dependent on our actions or our attitudes. If it were, then none of us would ever experience his love. Because as we've especially seen in the Sermon on the Mount, we've all fallen short of God's standards, haven't we? We have rebelled against his commands. In of ourselves, we are among those who are God's enemies. And yet God loves us all. In Romans 5 and 8 it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross declares that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us less. God loves us unconditionally, just the way we are. And God has demonstrated his love in so many different ways. In the gifts of of warm sunshine and cooling rain, of stunning sunsets and glorious mountain ranges, in the love and the laughter of family and friends, and enjoying a beautiful meal together, and satisfying work and the delight of discovery and in millions and millions of other ways he pours his love into our lives but ultimately his love is demonstrated in the gift of his son this is how God showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him In love, God sent his son to die in agony on a cross. Under the weight of our sin. So that we could live in the joy of knowing our sins are forgiven. To know that we have been accepted as children of God. And that we are secure in our Father's arms. And so God's love is merciful. It's gracious. It's forgiving. He longs for people like you and me to come to him in repentance and faith so that he can forgive us fully and freely and totally and completely. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions. From us. 
And so Jesus' desire is that if we have received this unconditional, unmerited, unlimited, unending love of God, then we as His children simply express this in our lives to those around us. Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So this is Jesus' aim for his disciples. That we will be increasingly like his dad. This is what Jesus ends this chapter with. Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But just in case anybody thinks this, clearly this does not mean that we're going to live a sinless life. As we saw in the Beatitudes, the blessed life, the life that's truly blessed, is for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It will always be something that we long for, that we desire, that we hunger for without ever fully living it out. And in the next chapter, Jesus will teach us to pray constantly, forgive us our debts, as an ongoing expression of our repentance and desire for forgiveness. So none of us are ever going to reach that standard. But this is the standard by which Jesus wants us to live. He doesn't want us to accept the lower standard of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He doesn't want us to settle for an external or a formal obedience to a legalistic system that just really minimizes and restricts the law so that you can keep it. Instead, Jesus wants us to live by this incredibly high standard with a passionate and an extravagant love for God. Longing to please and to honour the one who saved us. And a commitment to love others with that same sacrificial and selfless love that he has lavished on us. So this is what Jesus wants for us in our lives. This is what the Holy Spirit is working in us to produce. And I pray that God will increasingly see this in each one of our lives for His honour and for His glory.